we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. A radical revolution is necessary. A revolution that is not merely economic or social, but at a much greater depth, at the very root of consciousness. Hello and welcome to episode 103 of Urgency of Change. Season 3 of the Krishnamurti podcast continues with the format of carefully chosen extracts from the archives of the Philosopher's Talks. Each weekly episode focuses on a theme explored by Krishnamurti and the aim is to represent his different approaches to these universal topics. This week's theme is Revolution. Upcoming themes are Comparison, Greed and Suppression. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. Please visit our official YouTube channels for hundreds of advert-free video and audio recordings of Krishnamurti's talks and clips. You can also find our daily quotes and videos on Instagram and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, which helps our visibility. This week's episode on revolution has five sections. The first extract is from Krishnamurti's talk in Rishi Valley, 1967, titled Revolt is one thing, revolution another. You know there is a great deal of discontent in the world which expresses itself in many ways. In America, it takes one form. In Europe, which includes England, it takes another form. In China, in Russia, probably in Japan. And also, it must take place, it must, this discontent must be translated in different ways in India, too. So there is this enormous discontent in the world. Discontent against the establishment. You know what the establishment is? In America, it is the established order, the established society. In Europe, it takes the same form that which is established, that which is a group of people who rule, who have tradition, who have different kind of outlook on life and so on. And also here, that discontent, if it does exist, is 
against the holy cow. You know the holy cow? <laughs> that is again the established order. So there is this discontent, this total dissatisfaction against against the things that are as they are. In America it is the expression of the hippies. You ever heard about the hippies? Yes. Grow long hair, put extravagant clothes on, grow don't grow grow beards, not necessarily wash. And Amongst them, there are people, amongst the hippies, there are people who are very, very serious, young boys and girls, who want to lead a different kind of life, who want to create a different kind of society. So they're in tremendous revolt. And the revolt takes the form of growing long hair, putting on odd clothes, not washing, not going to offices, not passing examinations, not knowing exactly what they're going to do in the future. And amongst them there are boys and girls who have formed a small group. One of them earns money and the rest of them live on what that single person has earned, a kind of community. And in England it takes another form. The the beatniks, the Beatles, the what are the other names? The mods, the rollers, and so on and on and on. Again the same thing. Long hair, beards, dirty clothes, unwashed faces, and it's very difficult to distinguish between a boy and a girl. Because the boys have very long hair up to their shoulders, even longer. And girls obviously have long hairs too. So when you walk behind them as we did, you really don't know who is a girl and who is a boy. <coughs> and they don't mind. Some of them walk barefooted. And in England it's very cold. <coughs> and in London it's very dirty. And in Italy it takes another form. They're called capellonis, long-haired ones. There too, they're against the church, against the government, against the established order. And here probably it is not so violently expressed except among the university, among the students. But their revolt is rather very, very superficial. Throughout the world, this superficiality is expressed. Just to revolt against things as they are. They don't understand the real depth of what is involved in a society. What actually takes place 
emotionally, psychologically, inwardly. So, knowing all that, what is going on in America, in Europe, in Russia, in China, and different parts of the world, and in this country too, I wonder to what extent each one of us who are being educated here, to what extent we are discontent? And how are we going to express that discontent? You know what discontent is? To be dissatisfied. To feel that the things aren't right. That the government, the family, the parents, the university, the way one lives, one feels all these things are not satisfactory. They don't answer the real problems of life. One may pass an exam, have a job, get married, have children, but that's not the end. And most people are satisfied with that. They're caught up in society and just drift. And if one is probably, properly, rightly educated, one must have this tremendous discontent. You know, discontent is one thing, revolt is another, and revolution is quite a different thing. Most of us are discontent. Discontent with little things. I like to have a better house, a bigger car. I like to look nicer than, than the other person. I like to pass a little more, get more marks, in, and so on, so on, so on, so on. A superficial discontent. And which results in nothing generally. One is very easily satisfied. When one gets what one wants, one says, all right, everything is all right. It's a lovely day, beautiful sky, I have everything I want, I'm satisfied. That's one form of discontent which soon finds gratification, satisfaction, and settles down. Then there is the revolt. Revolt against society. Against the established order. There is such poverty in the world, not only physical, but inwardly. There is such misery. There are so many wars. And there is no peace in the world. There is no freedom. 
there is a constant ache and agony in the human mind and heart. So one revolts against all that. Again, that revolt is a reaction, which doesn't bring about the right order. So one asks oneself, what will bring about right order in the world? You understand my, am I talking too fast? Or, I'm sorry, I don't speak Telugu, Hindi, Tamil, or any Indian language. Because I left India when I was a small boy, so I couldn't, I can't learn Indian languages. So I only know English and perhaps some European languages. So, I hope you don't mind hearing English, because English, I believe, is taboo in this country. So, how does one, seeing all this confusion in the world, this discontent which soon finds satisfaction and settles down, this revolt which doesn't fundamentally answer all the problems of life, One asks oneself, as you must if you are at all educated or being educated, how does one bring about order? Not only outwardly, so that we'll have peace in the world, that we shan't be fighting each other, Pakistan and India, or Vietnam and the Americans, so that we can live peacefully with each other, with affection, with kindliness, which is totally lacking in the world. The world is terribly brutal. Full of hatred, antagonism, jealousy, envy, if you've got a better job, I want that job too. If you've got more money, I want more money. If you're clever, I also want to be clever. Fight, fight, fight all life long. So seeing all that, how does one bring about order so that we can live peacefully with each other, work together, cooperate? You know, the Russian Revolution, which was the Communist Revolution, tried to bring this about. They said, no more army, originally, not now. No division of classes. The property, the means of earning a livelihood belongs to the government, to the state. They developed an ideology, and according to that ideology, they worked 
and made people conform to that ideology. Whether they liked it or not, they killed them, they sent them to concentration camps, they sent them to Siberia by the million. So, there was that kind of revolution based on an ideology. And all ideologies are idiotic. Whether the ideology of the communist or the ideology of the Hindu or the Christian or the capitalist and so on, so on, so on. Because they do not deal with actualities. They have an idea. You know what an idea is? Oh Lord. An idea is thought organized. You understand? I think a great deal, but I have to organize it. In the very process of organizing, organizing thought, the idea comes in. A reasoned out idea. So that idea <clears throat> becomes the ideology. Man should live this way. The government should be this way. There should be no class. And so on, so on. You, so one develops, the clever ones develop an ideology. But not what is actual, actuality. So, the so-called revolutions, the bloody, the economic, the social upheaval, have not answered this question, have not answered the problem at all of man living with man peacefully. The religions throughout the world have tried it and they have failed completely because the Christianity has probably, as, as the Islam, produced great many wars and probably only Buddhism and after that Hinduism are not responsible for wars. So, revolutions economic or social, have not produced order, no science. So one asks, how will a human being bring about an order within himself and outwardly? And that's the only revolution, not the economic, because they have all tried and they've all failed, because Russia after 50 years of butchery, strangulating people, forcing them to conform to the pattern of an ideology, sending them to concentration camps, liquidating them, doing everything, is now becoming more and more bourgeois, more and more like the capitalist society with profit motive and so on, so on. Right. After seeing all this throughout the world, 
and it is the, your job as being educated to see this whole pattern, how will you bring about order? Which is the only revolution, the revolution which is, which is necessary to bring about right relationship between human beings. Otherwise every other form of revolution only brings about more misery. Right? If that is clear, the question, that is, how to bring about right relationship between man and man, not through force, not through bayonets, <laughs> not through organized religions, not through ideologies, because they have all failed. None of them have succeeded. Though they, all of them said, right relationship between man, which is society and so on and so on. So, how is that revolution of right relationship to take place? You understand my question? Right? You are on board with this? Now, how do you think it should take place? Mind you, no ideologies. <laughs> Not what we should do that. I don't know if you see that. How am I seeing all this? How am I to change my relationship with my neighbor without an ideology? Right? Because if I have an ideology, it is not the actual. You understand? Say, take for instance, in this country, they have talked for forty years about non-violence. They have been preaching that unfortunate thing right up and down the land, north, south, east, west, for forty years. Hmm? And when there was a war between Pakistan and India, these very people who have been talking about non-violence never opened their mouths. You understand? Never said, oh, it's all wrong. Don't kill. Don't fight. Nationalism is brutal. But they kept quiet. You understand? They have the ideology of non-violence, and when the actuality of a war comes, they all keep quiet. I don't believe there has been one Indian who stood up against it. So ideologies have no meaning whatsoever. Throw them over. Ideals, ideologies, formulas, systems have no meaning. What has meaning is actuality, which is man is violent. 
violent, in business, competitive, and so on, so on. Violent, anger, hatred, brutality, wanting to hurt others, create enmity. If you have money, I must have more of it. Keep it. Fight it all. Deceive people. Play hypocrisy. So ideologies have lost their meaning altogether. They never had it. And it's only those people who used it to exploit others. So how is one, you and I, to change, to bring about a revolutionary spirit without an ideology and change? Right? Have you understood my question? You understand? If you have no ideology at all, no ideals, hmm, then you are faced with a fact. Then you have, can't escape through an ideology. Words have no meaning then. You, have, you are faced with an actuality. And when you are faced with an actuality, you have to do something. Do you understand? When you are faced with the actuality of not having water, rain in this valley, you do something. But if you have an ideology, you can, it has no meaning. So can I and you, can you and I be free of all ideologies, and look at the facts of what we are. They are actual. Now, if you can do that, that is the greatest revolution. Because that demands instant action. Whereas if you have an ideology, you can postpone. You can say, well, I've been trying to be non-violent, but I hate people. I'm trying to be unselfish, but in the meantime, I'm completely <laughs> selfish. Whereas if you face the fact that you are really brutal, violent, selfish, then you can do something about it, or not. There is no pretense. To say, yes, I am selfish, I am going to have a very good time. But if you have an ideology, you pretend that you are all the time not selfish, but actually selfish. You pretend that you are non-violent, but your heart, your mind is full of hatred. So, order is only possible socially, economically, and therefore, and in the human mind and heart, only when the fact, the actual, the what is, is faced, then out of that perception, order can come into being. Then you can create a new society, not an ideology, but on what 
actually is. That, that means tremendous revolution of, in the ways of our thinking. And that is really pure science. <coughs> the pure scientist doesn't work on a hypothesis, on ideas. He says, I'm going to investigate. And pure without any emotional, sentimental um, feeling about it. He just investigates without any idea. He proceeds step by step. In the same way, we can be free of this violence which is in the heart of most of us by confronting it and working at it step by step. And I think that brings about a tremendous inward as well as outward revolution. Because, you see, world planning, hmm, not for India planning for herself or Egypt planning for herself or England or uh, Europe or America, the world planning is only possible when you have no nationalities, which is based on an ideology. But the world is caught up in these ideologies of my country and your country, hmm? my party and your party, Congress, not, they're not interested. When they are divide themselves, they're not interested in peace, in bringing about order. So, world planning, which is absolutely necessary so that man can live having enough food, clothes and shelter for everybody, not just for the rich alone. That's only possible when there is world planning, which can only come about when there are no ideologies of nationalities. Though nationalities are rampant in Europe, throughout the world, and therefore there's going to be more misery So, what are you going to do about it? Because you are being educated here, in this rather nice, lovely valley. I don't know if you saw the sunset yesterday evening. Did you? You know, there were clouds blowing in from the east through that gap. and. They were piling up against the hills and the sun was just setting and the clouds caught the light of the evening sun. Did you see it? How extraordinarily beautiful, vital, marvellous it was. Now, in this place you are being educated. If you are going to be merely discontent because you haven't got a better house or a bigger car, then you belong to the most stupid crowd. Or if you revolt because 
Uh, you want a different ideology. Again, you are caught in the mesh of nonsense. But if you say, look, we want order in this world, and order is not possible when there are ideologies, nationalities, religious separations. So it's your job, you are the coming generation. So you have to change, you have to work at it, and that's part of your education. The second extract is from the second talk in Bombay, 1967, titled A Radical Revolution is Necessary. A radical revolution is necessary. A revolution that is not merely economic or social, but at much greater depth, at the very root of consciousness. We were saying that not only does the world condition demand that this revolution take place, but also one can see throughout the world there is a steady decline, not technologically, but in the sense religiously, if I may use that word cautiously and with a great deal of hesitancy. Because that word religious, religion, has been so thoroughly misused. The intellectual people discard it totally. They deny. They run away from that word. The scientists, the intellectuals, even the humanitarians will have nothing to do with that word or with that feeling or with, with those organized beliefs which are called religious. But we are talking of a revolution in the very nature of the psyche itself, in the very structure of a consciousness that has been put together through millennia, through many, many experiences, through many conditionings. We are talking, rather, rather going into this question, whether it is possible for a human being living in this world in this brutal, violent, rather ruthless world that is becoming more and more efficient and therefore more and more ruthless, whether it is at all possible for a human being living in this world to bring about not only outwardly in his social relationships, 
but also much more in his inward life. Unless, it seems to me, there is a fundamental revolution in the whole of consciousness, that is, in the whole field of thinking, man will not only deteriorate and so perpetuate violence, sorrow, but also he will create a society that will become more and more mechanical, more and more pleasure-giving, and therefore a very, very superficial life. And if one observes, that is what is actually taking place. Man is having more and more leisure, through automation, through electric, through the development of cybernetics, that is, uh, electronic brains and so on, so on. He's having leisure. And that leisure is either going to be used to enter for entertainment, religious entertainment, entertainment through various forms of amusement, or that pleasure is going to be used for more and more destructive purposes in relationship between man and man, or he's going to turn inwardly. There are only these three possibilities. That is, technologically he can go to the moon, but that does not solve the human problem. And merely using his leisure for amusement, a religious amusement, which is going to churches, temples, beliefs, dogmas, reading, sacred books and all that, which is really a form of amusement, or he is going deeply into himself and questioning every value that man has created throughout the centuries and trying to find out if there is something more than the mere product of the brain. And there are a whole group of people throughout the world that are revolting against the established order by taking various forms of drugs, denying any form of activity in society, and so on. So, what we are, 
talking about is whether it is possible for man living in this world to bring about a revolution, a psychological revolution, which will create a different kind of society, a different kind of order. Because we need order. For there is a great deal of disorder. The whole social structure as it is, is based on disorder. Competition, rivalry, dog eating dog, man against man, class division, racial division, national division, tribal division, and so on. So there is, as society is constructed, there is disorder. There is no question about it. And various forms of revolution, Russian and other forms of revolution, have tried to bring about order in society. And they have invariably failed, as it's so shown in Russia and in, Rus in China. But we need order, because without order we cannot live. Even the animals demand order. Their order is the order of property and sexual order. And also with us humans it is the same. Pro order in property and sexual order, rights. And we are willing to give up sexual rights for rights over property. And in this field we are bringing, uh, trying to bring about order. Now there can be order only when there is freedom. not as it is interpreted, where there is freedom there is disorder, and therefore there is tyranny, there are ideologies which are imposed on man to bring about order, which ultimately bring about disorder. So, order implies discipline. But the discipline that is generally, as is generally understood, is discipline based on conformity, on obedience, on acceptance, or through fear, through punishment, or order through great deal 
tyrannical power to keep you in order. Now we are talking of a discipline that comes through the very understanding of what freedom is, the very understanding of what freedom is brings about its own discipline. The third extract is from Krishnamurti's seventh talk in London, 1962, titled A Deep Psychological Revolution. Revolution implies, surely, a total awareness of the whole psychological structure, conscious as well as unconscious, and being completely free without thinking of becoming. Unconsciously, most of us have established patterns of thought, patterns of activity, patterns of way of life. And when we desire to bring about a change in our life, unconsciously we accept certain patterns that have already been established, of which we may not know. And this, we think, is a change. As we were saying the other day, without understanding the unconscious, every psychological change is merely a conformity to the pattern established by the unconscious. And not only the present crisis outwardly, but the crisis in consciousness demands revolution. Not the revolution, economic or social, which is which are mere which are very superficial. But we are talking of a revolution in the unconscious, a complete breaking away from the psychological structure of society, the breaking away totally, from ambition, from greed, envy, from the desire for power, position, and prestige, and so on, to break away totally. 
and that is the revolution. Because without that revolution, no new, new thing can be. And then, without that revolution, we merely indulge in ideas, in concepts. And without that revolution, there will always be sorrow. And there is an ending to sorrow only when there is this total revolution. And the question is really, having understood somewhat of this problem, because we have discussed in enough here as well as in other halls, how to bring about this change, this revolution. If we make conscious effort, a deliberate, conscious endeavor, <clears throat> then we bring conflict into being, struggle. And a thing that is born of struggle, conflict, is of little importance, because it's only productive further conflict, further misery. So, how is this possible to bring about a revolution within the psyche without conscious effort? We have very carefully explained that the unconscious is the storehouse of the past, not only of the individual experiences and responses according to his background, but also it is the storehouse of the race, of the culture, of all the endeavor of man. His search for God and his denial of God, and his substitution for God as the state, as the nation as an idea. The totality of all that is the past, is the unconscious, is the background of each one of us. And to consciously break down through analysis through examination will not obviously bring about a revolution. You can modify, you can bring about reformation, but reformation needs further reformation. It is not a revolution, a complete 
breaking away from the past. And it is only when one can break away psychologically from the past that is the new. And we need a young, fresh, innocent mind. The fourth extract is from the sixth talk in Paris, 1961, titled Revolution from Complete Emptiness. Why does one demand for a change? You would never demand a change if the present condition suits you, satisfies you. If you are comfortable in it. You don't want a revolution for a million dollars. You don't want a revolution if your children, your wife and everything about you is bourgeois, comfortable and all the rest of it. You say, for God's sake, leave it alone. You want change only when you are disturbed, when there is a flame of discontent. But that discontent, that flame, is merely to find another form of pattern in which you can live comfortably. So, the demand for change arises only when there is dissatisfaction, when there is a discontent with with the things as they are. When you want more money, more better house, etc., etc., then you want a change. The rich man never wants a change, but only the poor man. The man who has become highly respectable, bourgeois, settled, he doesn't want a change. So our demand for change, if you go into it very deeply, is the demand to create a new way of life which will suit you, which will be comfortable, which will be profitable. So your demand for change is based on a motive of acquiring a new pattern of comfort or security, and so on. The search to change is based on that. You, so if you, if you see that as false, and you deny that also, and you must to find out what is true, then is there a seeking to change? Is there a search at all? You are following? After all, you are, you are all here, aren't you? Wanting to find out. You all come on a very hot morning to listen, to find out. Search. You are seeking. What are you seeking? 
ونروح يا روسيكي If you go into a very deep play, you are dissatisfied with things and you want something new. And the new must always be gratifying, comfortable, assuring, secure. And I, do, I don't want to go much deeply into the question of searching. And you see, if you search, seek out the change, Your search and your change is based on your particular individual comfort and security and all the rest of it. After all, these so-called religious people are seeking God. At least they say so. You know what search means, implies? Search implies, doesn't it, something you have lost or something you have known for which you are seeking. How can you seek God? You don't know anything about God. All that you know is what you have been told. Propaganda. The Church makes it and the Communists make it in different ways. But you don't know anything about God. And to find that out you must totally deny, completely put aside every sense of propaganda, all the tricks that the Church's propagandists have played. So, to find out how to bring about, no, to find out the complete mutation in consciousness. You must deny analysis, search and no longer must be, be, be under any influence. which is immensely difficult, so that the mind, seeing what is false, has put aside completely what is false, not knowing what is true. If you know what is true, then it's not seeking, it is not understanding of what is false. You are merely exchanging what you consider false to what you consider true. So, a mind, a brain that has denied, and there is denial only when there is no assurance. There is no renunciation if you, are, if you know what you are going to get. There is renunciation only when you, when you drop, renounce, not knowing what is going to happen. So. In that state of negation, you, you're following, I hope, all this. That state of negation is completely necessary. You're following all this? 
Because please follow it carefully, you will see, if you have so, come so far, you will see in that state of negation you will discover what is true. Because that negation is the emptying of consciousness. Consciousness is based on knowledge, is based on experience, memory, racial inheritance, the things that has, one has experienced. Experienced experiences are always of the past, operating on the present and therefore modifying that experience and therefore continuing in the future. All that is consciousness, the vast storehouse of centuries. It has its usefulness in mechanical living only. It would be absurd to deny all the scientific knowledge one has acquired through centuries. But to find out, to, to bring about a, a mutation in consciousness, a revolution in this whole structure, there must be that complete emptiness. And that emptiness is only possible when, you, when there is the discovery, the seeing, actual seeing of what is false. Then you will see, if you have gone so far, that emptiness itself brings about a complete revolution in consciousness. It has taken place. No? So many of us are afraid, scared, to be alone. We want always a hand to hold, an idea to cling to, an experience which we cling, which we hold on, which we worship. We are never alone. Either in the bus, if you are in the bus we are with our ideas, with our experience, with our occupation. In company we are, we are just ourselves to the company, with a group. We are actually never alone. And to be alone for most people is frightening. But it's only the mind, the brain that's completely alone. That means empty of every influence. Every demand, every form of adjustment fear, emptying the whole thing. It's only then that very emptiness 
is mutation. Because everything is born out of emptiness. Everything new comes out of this sense, out of this vast, immeasurable, unfathomable emptiness. It is not romanticism, it is not an idea, it is not an image, it is not illusion. This comes about when you deny the false, completely not knowing what is true. So there is a mutation in consciousness, a total revolution, total transformation in consciousness. Perhaps then it is no longer consciousness as we know it. It is something entirely different. And that consciousness can live in this world, at that, in that state can live in this world. Because we are not denying knowledge, which is mechanical. So, so there is, if you have gone into it, a mutation. There is a revolution, not economic, social, that's very superficial. There is a revolution in, in, in the psyche. But not change. Change implies a modified continuity, which most of us want. A modified continuity, continuity is not a revolution, in that there is nothing new, in that there is no fresh young mind. And it is only the fresh, innocent, young mind that can discover what is true. It is only such a mind then which is free of the known. Only to such a mind the unnameable, the unknowable can come. The final extract in this episode is from Krishnamurti's seventh talk in New Delhi, 1963, titled A Religious Revolution. To be sensitive, to be, have all your nerves, your eyes, ears functioning at the highest level. And that requires an astonishing awareness of every movement of your thought. Whether you are suppressing, why you are suppressing, what is you are you are alive. You are watching every word, every gesture, every movement of your body and eyes. 
And so out of this astonishing awareness, sensitivity, there comes an austerity, without harshness, without bigotry, without uh, cruelty. Therefore, out of this religious revolution, which in essence is the highest form of intelligence which is to be highly sensitive, not to your particular likes and dislikes, everybody is, but to be sensitive to the whole human existence, with all the complexities, with all the problems, with all the despairs, anxieties, sorrows, to be aware of it, to watch it. And in the very process of observation there is discipline, and that discipline is austere, without any sense of suppression. Then a religious spirit or the mind which is in a in constant state of revolution. I explained I won't go back into it. It's only that mind that can find this energy. There is an energy. There is a source of energy which is, can never be touched by a mind in conflict, by the so-called religious mind. Do what they will. There Man is seeking this energy, because that is the source, the origin. Don't give it a name, it has no name. It's an energy, and it is only that energy that is created, not the painter, not the writer, not the people who are trying to be creative, think creatively, they are not. It's only the religious mind, the religious mind that is uh, in a revolution, that is clear. It's only such a mind that can find the source of this energy in action, because that energy comprehends the whole and not particular fragments and try to answer every fragment. It deals entirely with the whole problem of man, not just one particular level of his particular problem. And we have lost that energy, not lost, probably we never had it. It's only by discovering, really discovering it, not being told like a lot of infants, by really finding it out through religious revolution, through this sense of highest beauty, which demands all your attention, and that attention is virtue, 
because the cultivated virtue is no longer virtue. It's just a, a, a habit formed to function in a particular pattern. Virtue is something out of time that cannot be cultivated. You are or you are not. It's like cultivating humility. Just think of that absurdity. A vain man trying to cultivate humility. He'll remain at the end still vain. He has learned the word humility and has covered it up. And to be, to have this humility, you have to destroy completely, consciously as, a, as well as unconsciously, all vanity or pride. And on the instant, not gradually. So the religious mind has no time Therefore, no idea as a psychological idea according to which it is functioning. A religious mind is acting, not socially, economically, or politically, it is acting, because it has found, it has discovered that source, uncontaminated by thought, uncontaminated by conflict, and it is only the mind that is really understands the true religious spirit that can find that thing which is beyond all words. 